Thank you for joining us on the Restoration Church Podcast. Today's episode is entitled, Know Before You Go, and is part of our prayer series taken from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. We hope you enjoy. Now here in a little bit, uh, we're going to leave, uh, my family and I, we're going to step away from, from th- this place, and we're going to go, or immediately after we leave here, we're going to go to an airport, and uh, we're going to be taking a little family trip for a couple of days. Uh, we'll be back by Wednesday, though. Um, we're going to take a trip for a couple of days uh, to New York and just spend New York in the fall. I hear that's a, I hear that's a pretty fun thing to do. Yeah, we're excited. What's that? New England in the fall? Okay, uh, it's competitive back here. Um, we have too many North, Northeasterners. They're all like competing over which place of the Northeast we should go. Uh, not too many. Just joking. Uh, we're going we're to jump on an airplane and uh, we're going to sit down and we're going to start going through the process and then somebody's going to stand up in front of us and they're going to give us a speech that if you've been on an airplane more than five times, you've heard too many times probably, right? You've heard it so many times, you're like, oh, I, gotta, I have to listen to this. Can I get my headphones on fast enough? Because I don't want to hear the lady or the man, the steward say, hey, before you guys get going, I've got some announcements to make. You're going to potentially, if the, if the uh, cabin loses pressure, what's going to happen? The mass is going to fall down, and you're going to put it on. And what are you supposed to do before you put anybody else's on? You're supposed to do what? You're supposed to put, you guys have flown before too. You're supposed to put yours on first. You know, just even if you have a kid with you or whatever, you're supposed to put yours on first. If you're capable before you were to, for you to help somebody else put theirs on, if they're maybe less capable than you are. And I mean, you get that, right? Um, if, you're, if you're a mom on an airplane and the cabin loses pressure, there's going to be, I've, anybody been in a plane when that happened before? Anybody? Rick flies a lot, so I know. Oh, Diane's been back there. Uh, that would, that, you as well, that would kind of scare me to death, to be honest with you. And I can imagine if, if I was on a plane, and especially when my kids were younger, now not so much, it'd be like, figure it out, girls are fine. But, um, but if I was, when my kids were younger and that happened, there would be a little moment of like, oh no, what's going on? Can, would you guys feel me on that one? A little bit of a panic moment, just a little bit. And I can see where the temptation as a parent would be, okay, I've got to take care of my little girls and make sure they have their oxygen mask on before I worry about myself. I mean, it's a little bit innate. But you can, you can see why they would give that instruction, right? Because if I start fumbling around and try to get the mask on my little girls, but in the meantime, I don't have a mask on, and then I start to black out, not only do I not get my mask on, but now my girls don't get their mask on, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? That I would need to take care of getting my oxygen into my lungs before I would focus too much on getting oxygen into their lungs. Today we're going to look at a phrase. We're going to say it this way. We're going to know before we go. And it's going to help us thinking of that story and having that story in the back of our heads and as a, as a framework, we're going to think through a passage of Scripture where Jesus helps us understand how we do that same process in our spiritual life. As we seek to serve and help and love our, others, how do we make sure that we are prepared to do so effectively? Um, have you guys encountered what I've encountered, especially recently, when people reach out to you for help? You see somebody who needs something, uh, and they have need advice, they need encouragement. Maybe you see your family member, and you know they're going through something that you really want to be able to help them through. You want to give them some advice. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're stressed out. They're going through a dark time, and you really want to help them, but you feel powerless to help them. I even a friend of mine recently asked me to meet him uh, after, after work, uh, meet him and hang out with him. And he wanted some advice. And he asked me these deep questions about life and about marriage and about being a human. And uh, admittedly, he asked me and I started going, I didn't let this out on my face, but a little bit I started going to in a panic. Like, what am I going to say to this guy? 
how can I help this guy? I want to be able to help him. So, of course, I do what I have a tendency to do in those moments. I just start, like, rambling, like, 10 minutes, just going on and on and on and on, hoping that something I say makes him go, wow, that was amazing, Lance, and hoping tears falls from his eyes, and he embraces me and kisses me on the cheek. Not that far, maybe. Okay, that's far. That'd be kind of cool. Um, just, just, you know, you hope you're going to be able to say something that moves somebody, that makes them, uh, that, that sets them to a place of excitement and, um, and joy. Have a great one. We'll see you later. Um, so right now he's going to help somebody, right? He's going he's gonna to be in that place uh, that, that I was in a few weeks ago, or, or actually it was last week. And we, we're reaching that point where we, want to, where we want to help. We want to have impact. But we just feel like we're, we're struggling with it. We don't know what to say. Even if we do think we know what to say, we find that what we say falls on kind of flat. Well, we're going to discover that if we learn to know before we go, uh, Jesus is going to give us some instructions of how we really serve and how we really help each other in this space. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 is where we're going to dig in today. Before we start reading, let me tell you what we've read so far so you understand the context. So we've been in um, this speech of, of Jesus's, this most famous speech in all of history. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this speech, we've discovered there are two sections, and we've been digging in and focusing on the second section for a few weeks now, starting in chapter 6 is where we started. And uh, what we've discovered, what we've learned is that, that this entire passage of Scripture is speaking to those who want to move from a hypocritical life, a life following, uh, following God based on religious and ritual, a very hypocritical style of Christianity to a, to a relationship, an authentic way of following Jesus. So Jesus addresses this. How do we move from hypocritical to, uh, hypocritical to authentic? By speaking to us about our relationship with God. He says, don't focus on the outer aspects of following Jesus. Focus on the inner aspects of following Jesus. He teaches us a lot about prayer. He wraps this entire talk, this entire section around what it means to pray. And he told us that praying is more than asking God for things. It's asking God to get to know God, seeking who he is. Uh, we said it this way, it's not giving God your insights, it's giving God your insides. Getting to know who God is, building relational intimacy with the creator, infinite God of the universe. And then uh, last week, Will jumped in and helped us unpack what does that mean about something that we all deal with? Stress, worry, anxiety. How does that apply to those real serious situations of life that seem to crush us? Today we're going to dig in and understand what Jesus says. He's going to speak to us about how we help other people. With that in mind, with this context of focusing on the inner so that we get close to God in intimacy, how do we then live out our, our life, our following of Jesus, so that we help and serve other people? So we're going to read a little bit uh, together. We'll stop and make a few comments along the way. But starting in verse 1, it says, pretty famous passage of Scripture, probably been quoted to you or by you or at you a few times. It says, verse 1, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you pause right there, think about what this word judgment means. So the word itself actually means to test or evaluate. It's not a lot different than what we would do if we were gonna go, to, uh, go buy a car this afternoon, right? If you're gonna go buy a car this afternoon, you go to the car lot, you would look at each car, you would kind of go through a mental checklist, maybe you prepared a checklist, maybe you didn't, but you're going to process, hmm, how's this car? I like the color, I don't like the color. I like the style, I don't like the style. This one's too old, this one's too new, this one's too expensive, this one's maybe not expensive enough. I don't know if that's ever been the case in my buying process, but this one has too many miles, this one has too little. You go through the whole process, you get in it, you drive it, you evaluate it, and this word for judge is don't do that. Now, 
It's not just don't do that at all, right? I mean, it's okay to do that with a car. <laughs> in context, it's speaking to not doing that with other people in relationship to their walk with God or their, or their ability to be approved religiously. Uh, we've seen Jesus speak about this in, this in the first section of the sermon over and over and over. He's told us that no one meets the standard. So if you're going to test people and you're going to test yourself and you're going to evaluate, no one measures up. So if you're going to go down this road, it's going to be an a, a endless road of futile testing and evaluation because nobody can pass the test. Because the measurement we should lay up against ourselves and other people isn't our own righteousness, our own goodness, but it's actually the righteousness and holiness of God. Remember that's what Jesus said, be perfect like God is perfect. So what's the point in testing and evaluating everyone to see if they measure up if you know no one was going to, is going to measure up? It's kind of the idea. And here's what that looks like, I think, a lot of times in our life. It's almost like there's this great big giant cosmic game of fifth grade kickball. I don't know if you guys remember the days of uh, fifth grade kickball, but um, here's what we did in my school in Alabama. I guess they did this everywhere. We would all kind of get into a crowd, and then the, the PE teacher would pick out like super athlete number one and super athlete number two, and they would stand up and they would start picking teams. Y'all remember this? Now, some of you are super athlete number one or super athlete number two, and you're like, yes, I remember that. It was the moment of pride. And you haven't really reached that since then. Um, uncle, a little Uncle Rico moment for those Napoleon Dynamite in the, fans in the room. But the rest of us were sitting in that group going, please don't pick me last. Please don't pick me last. Please don't pick me last. And, and we would see a super athlete going through the list. And, and we would start doing this evaluation process. We go, he needs to pick me. I'm faster than that guy. Hey, he needs to pick me because, because I can kick further than, than that girl over there. He needs to pick me because, I, man, I'm great in the field. And we go through this evaluation process, this testing process, what, to, to prove, at least in our own, own minds, why we're better. Jesus is saying that the end of that needs to come in our spiritual journey. The end of that, let me get to a place where I can say, I am better than you in our evaluation of others. What does that look like? I think it looks a lot of different ways. It looks like, hey, I'm better than you. I'm because I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you because I, I look nice and I got a nice beard. I'm better than you because, because my house is bigger than you, bigger than yours. I'm better than you because my car is better than yours. I'm better than you because I have more zeros. This is the, this is the aspect of judgment that we, that we go through as we evaluate everyone around us. And I believe a lot of us, myself included, are often guilty of living this space of constantly trying to determine a system that makes us feel like we're better than everybody else. I'm better than you because of the number of zeros on my paycheck. I'm better than you because of my GPA. I'm better than you because of my IQ. I'm better than you because I turn right. I stopped before I turn right at the light, and you didn't. You know? I'm better than you because I don't use foul language. I'm better than you because I don't care about using foul language, and I'm all cool. I'm better than you because I don't go to rated R movies. I'm better than you because who cares about movies? I'm better than you because I am, I am righteous and religious. I'm better than you because I'm not legalistic and ritualistic. I am better than you. We constantly look for ways to determine and evaluate ourselves as being better than the next person. And the, the, the crazy irony behind all of this is, is the better we become, the less we need grace. And the less we need grace, the less we depend on grace. And the less we depend on grace, the further from God we are. Oh my goodness. Let's start it again. Let's try it again. All right. Let's see. I have no idea if I can pull that off. Anybody else want to say that? So the better we are, the less we need grace, right? The less we need grace, the less we start depending on grace. And the less we depend on grace, the, the further we get from God. Because the only way 
we get access into the friendship and relationship with God is through radical soul dependence on grace and not dependent on ourselves or anything we do or ever have done. Did I say that again? Okay. I'm tired. I'm going I'm to say in Spanish this time. Actually, I won't say in Spanish. I, I pretend like it wasn't. You'll never know the difference. Some of you, anyway. If you didn't get it that time, see me afterwards, and I'll have, pretend like I knew what I said then, and then we'll, then we'll keep going. That is pretty plain, right? Jesus is, is saying that the end of judgment should begin in believers and those who follow Jesus. The end of assessing and testing and going, I am better than you. I am better than you. Believers, those of us who follow Jesus, you should be the first to say, I'm the worst. That's what Paul said, right? I'm the chief of sinners. In the better game, I'm at the bottom. And he understood that that put himself into a position not of proving himself worthy of God, but proving himself radically, infinitely unworthy of God and in desperate need of grace. And when we're in desperate need of grace, we get unfiltered, infinite grace. Jesus says it's time for the end of this testing and of this evaluation. Let's keep reading. Verse number three. Jesus is going to paint a picture for us of something a little bit ludicrous. As you read this, I, I don't know about you guys, I get straight up walking dead in my head. A, li- a, little, bit of, um, a, a little bit of Monty Python's um, flesh wound moment. Is that, is that Monty Python? Okay, I'm making sure because it's either that or... Um, anyway, we'll get into that. So a little bit of that. So I don't know what you have in your mind when you read this, but uh, verse number three. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? So a speck was like a crumb a splinter, or I think of sawdust, a little bitty small little speck. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? So get the picture. Jesus is saying, why are you focused so much on the little crumb or the little piece of sawdust you see in somebody's eye? When you've got a beam, the word for log is literally beam, like I think of a 12 by 12. Um, it would be the word used, not just for any piece of lumber in the structure, but do you see the big pieces of lumber uh, that are holding up the, the one by fours or one by sixes there? The decking, for, do you see the big ones? That's the picture of the word that Jesus uses here. When, when you were talking about lumber and constructing a building during this time, the word used for log was the big pieces, the big beams. So Jesus is saying, why are you worried so much about the little speck that's in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your eye. It's a bit of a ridiculous picture because this is why I get walking dead in my head because we're, we've got this person who's going, man, you've got a little speck in your eye and the guy's like looking back and this, this other person has like a beam all the way through their head and they're like walking around. like straight. I, I get straight up zombie picture in my head. This guy walking around with a beam in his head. Here's the point. One person has something that's frustrating and annoying. I don't know if you've ever had anything in your eye. Everybody has. Not really fun, but it isn't life-threatening, Right? And the other person, the other person who's trying to solve the problem has a beam, has a mortal wound. That's the flesh wound part. Has a mortal wound in their head with a beam going through their head. The difference between annoyance and the mortal wound is being paid by, uh, by Jesus Christ here. That the person trying to solve is focused not so much on themselves and the mortal thing that they have to do with. They're focused on the spec. But what, what is the, this, this, deep, this deep significant problem. Will was teaching me about triage a little bit yesterday and how when someone uh, comes into an emergency situation, you go through a process of triage. And if I get this wrong, Will, feel free to like fly me down like that one, right? Show and correct me. But basically the idea is if you go into an tri- emergency situation, you want to go through a process of triage so that the person has a little scratch on their knee and a little blood kind of trickling down. They need a Band-Aid. Not so much worried about them, but the person laying on the brown, ground bleeding out 
we need to take care of them first, right? It's just a, a process of triage. And Jesus is painting a picture that the reality is in our spiritual journey, our spiritual lives, some of us are on the, on the critical end of the triage uh, spectrum. And we're over there dragging ourselves around, bleeding out, legs missing, wounds in our head, trying to go over there and help people uh, put band-aids on their legs. But, but what is the mortal, the, the, the big deal here? What's this mortal, mortal wound? Now I've always thought as I've read this, uh, this past scripture, it's just kind of something generic, like whatever you wanted it to be. And Jesus maybe was just kind of give us in a picture and you know, there's something small and something big and you kind of feel it in yourself. But the context tells us exactly what this big serious issue is that the, that the person needs to solve before they start solving other people's smaller problems or annoyance problems. We're going to discover exactly what this beam in the eye, this log in the eye is. It's not just anything. It's not just what I want it to be or you want it to be. It's something very specific. Hopefully I can pull off showing what you, showing you what that is. Verse number five, hypocrite. Now, I'm even going to pause right there at that word because hypocrite, it takes us back to the beginning of this section, chapter 6, where Jesus has been talking about what it means to live a hypocritical life. We just said it a minute ago, but just as a reminder, a hypocritical life is one that's focused on the outer performance of following God and following Jesus. Here's what it looks like when I follow God based on my outward performance. And Jesus challenges that, remember, to shift from the focus on the outer to the inner. Walking with God in intimacy. Prayer with God that represents the kind of, kind of conversation a child has with his daddy or her daddy. Jesus challenges the move from outer to inner by challenging us to follow God with intimacy and closeness and friendship. He says that's what really needs to be solved. Jesus, by using this word hypocrite, returns us to that idea and tells us a bit about what this beam is. The problem that needs to be solved in the lives of the people reading this, the big problem, the beam that needs to be taken our eyes and out of our, out of our heads, out of our skull, is this lack of intimacy and friendship and closeness to God. Solve that before you go help solving other, people, other people's needs. You've got to know God before you go and start serving others. Know before you go. As we keep reading, it says uh, in verse number five, hypocrite. First, take the log out of your eye. Or, 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 or this word first has actually occurred recently. Will talked about it a little bit last time. It's, a, it's tying us back to the same exact phrase as our, as our response or Jesus' commanded response to what we do with worry. What do we do with worry? We don't do it. Instead, we do what? We seek first the what? Kingdom of God. All right, we'll try that one again. I'm going too fast on this one. So instead of worry, we, we don't worry. Instead, we seek yeah, there we go. Now y'all are doing it. See, y'all give me a test. I'll give you a test back. Um, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what, what Jesus is doing by putting these two together, he's, he's, he's locking them together. He's helping us understand that this beam that he's referring to is intimacy with God. And in another way, the way he said it in the passage we studied last week was seeking first the kingdom of God. The reign and rule and presence of Jesus in our life. That's what is the beam that's the mortal issue. You can't do anything until you have that right in your life. Don't. It says, hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Have you ever read this? I think I've read this this way a lot in my life. I've been guilty of it. Read this and thought that the whole point of it was don't help other people. Don't say anything to them. Kind of leave them alone. Uh, don't, be, don't try to get specks out of people's eyes. Don't, don't say anything about their life. Don't do that at all. 
Actually, the point of this text is the opposite of that. The point of this text is to get you into a position to where you can effectively help remove, tech, uh, remove splinters and crumbs and issues out of other people's lives. The point of it is, is that but in order to, to do so, your life has to be built on that foundation of intimacy and friendship with God. Take the beam out of your eye before you start taking the set of other people's eyes. Know before you go. Jesus helps us understand that the point of it is to support, to serve, to help other people. So let's dig into that and help unravel some ideas, and then I've got a few application steps. I wonder if this isn't why we're not effective. I, I started out by talking about how many times that I have had moments where I want to help people, but I find myself powerless or ineffective. I wonder if it's because I'm not going in the overflow. I wonder if it's because I'm not giving them life because I'm not giving them life because I haven't gotten life. I'm not giving them light because I haven't stood in the light. I'm not giving them warmth because I haven't been next to the fire. Imagine this with me. Imagine if it was freezing. This is apocalyptic, all right? We were doing Walking Dead earlier, so we're going to stick with that vein. Uh, this is an apocalyptic moment. And you and somebody you, care, somebody you care about is in another room. So not in this room. They're in another house, like across there. And they're all by themselves. And it's like 40 below. Kind of like it felt this morning. You, you, that's too cold. <laughs> freezing cold outside. It's 40 below. And they're chained in that other house. It looks like they're probably going to freeze to death. You are able to come into this room. This is the only place. I don't know why in my analogy. You just stick with this my analogy. I can make rules. So in this place, there's a fire. And you want to help them not freeze to death. In that moment, maybe you only have this option. Yeah, you can go and you can cuddle around them for a little while, but eventually both of you are going to freeze to death, right? I don't know a lot about biology. I probably should have ran this one before, by will before I started saying it. But I think that eventually... You guys would both freeze to death. If it's 40 below, you're not going to make it. But what if I could come back in here and I could get warm? I could stand next to this fire and I could get warm, get my body heat back up, and then I could run back over to this other house and wrap my arms around my friend or my loved one and hold them close and warm them up. And then eventually we would get cold again and then I would need to go run back over to the fire and get close to the fire again and warm up, get warm, and they're chained to the wall of it, so I would run back to this other house and I would warm them up. That's a ridiculous illustration. I know it is. But this is what Jesus is saying. We need to be warm. We need to find warmth in life. We need to stand next to the fire ourselves so that when we go to support and help and serve and love other people, we have something other than ourselves to give them. I think that's what Jesus is teaching us about what it means to be effective as we look to serve and love and help other people. I wonder too if this challenges us in a different way. We believe here at Restoration Church that the reason we exist is to help believers live as a family on mission towards death. If you're listening to my voice, whether it's in this room or over the web or some other way, and you're not living on mission, intentionally building relationships with people who don't know the great love of Jesus Christ, serving them, loving them, maybe even living on mission with this community and with this family, could it be the reason you're not living on mission the reason you're not trying to take the warmth to other people is because you don't have the warmth yourself. When we don't look to serve, to love, to give, to go, to live on mission, I think oftentimes the reason we don't is because we haven't been filled with life to the overflow. 
I think an interesting idea that is revealed to this in this, I, this text to me is this, is that this passage helps us understand how life change, ha- life change happens. Um, we believe, now we, we've studied a passage in James chapter 5 that we believe really helps us understand how life change happens. Jesus is describing to us how life change happens. And he's not describing a sermon. He's not describing a message. He's describing life-on-life, intimate, person-to-person impact. And saying in that, life change occurs. Jesus is saying that if you want to see somebody's life change, don't preach a sermon to them. Get close enough to them. Get intimate enough with them that you can take a speck out of their eye. Jesus is challenging, in many ways, the modern paradigm of church where the successful churches draw a crowd where people can hear a sermon and listen to music, but then go about their merry ways, just like they've been to Walmart and gotten their little package to give away. I go, you know, go to Walmart, go to Target, go to the grocery store, get your groceries for the week, you're good. Come to church, get your spiritual fulfillment, and you're good. He's challenging that paradigm, the modern paradigm of the church, and saying that's not Christianity. That's not the church. Life change doesn't happen in that way. Life change happens life on life, person to person, face to face, in that intimate way. There are a few different action steps I want us to look at, some applications I think will help us do this in real life. Before I do, I want to share with you a little bit of an example from my own life that I think will help paint this picture. I may have done this before, but uh, we've got some new folks. It'll be the first time for you guys. It's one reason why it's good for me to keep new folks coming in so I can tell my same stories over and over and over and the highest percentages. You know. um, so my dad, I'll, I consider my dad a pretty tough guy. Growing up, he was a cowboy. I've seen my dad ride horses and get bucked off, and I've seen him wrestle calves to the ground. I've seen him us working during the middle of the day and him like slice gaps, gashes in his hand, like blood going down his hand. And I'd be like, Dad, Dad, let's go to the hospital. He's like, oh, son, it's all right. Let's just rub some dirt on it. And, uh, and let's go. Let's keep going. And, 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 of course, he always made me do the same thing too, right? Oh, Dad, I'm hurt. You're fine, son. Just go. We got to get this job done. Well, yeah, there you go. There you go. My dad's a tough guy. However... I've also seen my father, why, maybe why he's doing some, some woodwork, or using the old, uh, what we call a skill saw. Do you guys call it a skill saw? Do you call it a when circular saw? I think that's a tech. Anyway, using the old skill saw is what we call it, um, and, and, and doing some lumber cutting, get a piece of sawdust in his eye. And I can see my dad, and he's got some sensitive eyes, I think, but I can see my dad in that moment. This tough dad, this dad who, who could be bleeding and, and cut and hit his, hit his hand with a hammer and his whole finger swell up, just keep on going, go into a four-year-old girl hissy fit when he gets a little bit of a crumb in his eye. Don't tell him I said that. Dad, if you're listening, I'm just, just forget about it. Just go, just, oh, my eye. I mean, he has got some sensitive eyes. And when my dad gets a little crumb or a little something in his eye like that, he has to immediately get it taken out, which I get. I would want it taken out too. But, but my dad won't let anyone take the crumb or the splinter or, the, or the, um, the dust out of his eye except for my mother. I can remember my dad, this tough guy, this guy, he always had big biceps. My dad was, seemed like he had huge biceps. This tough guy, sweaty, dirty, bloody guy who could handle anything, but if he got something to eye, he'd scream like a girl. And I can remember him just having to lay his head in my mother's lap. Here's my tough dad, and I would just, as a kid, like watching him, screaming, hurt, oh, it hurts, it hurts, get out. And he'd lay his head in my mother's lap, and my mother would gently, no one else could do it. No one else was allowed to touch my dad's face other than my mother and she would gently take that crumb or that or that thing out of his eye I don't know if she was supposed to Will made letters say she wasn't supposed to do that you're supposed to call this number and they're supposed to get this thing and do that thing and give them some injection but she was the only one who was allowed to take 
the crumb or the, uh, or the sawdust out of my dad's eye. So with that in mind, in this passage in, I, in mind, I want us to think about some application steps. The first one is ask before you act. There's a word that kind of appears right in the middle of a sentence. It's verse number four. It says, let me take the speck out of your eye. The word little let is the word for permission in Greek. It's about as close as you can get to the word please. What, what we learn as we read this passage of Scripture is that we should be permission-based in how we approach our service and our love and even our gospel presentation to others. Even in sales and marketing, what they've discovered is uh, 20 or 30 years ago it was, don't ask, for the, don't, don't ask for permission, just go. Assume that you've got the right to go. Be that shark when you want to sell stuff. But what they've discovered in both marketing and sales is, is that you have much more success if you give people a choice. Jesus is saying the same thing, that if we're going to impact, we're going to, we're going to be able to build relationships with people. Ask permission. Ask permission to engage. Hey, man, do you mind if I share a story with you? Hey, man, do you mind if I, if I, if I share something that might be impactful in your life? So ask before you act. Number two, earn trust before you ask. Before I let you touch my eyeball, I'm probably going to want to have some trust with you. Now, I might get that trust because I see some uniform that you're wearing, or it may be trust because you're my mom. And you've held me close for years and years. You've, you've took care of all my bruises and all my cuts. And you do it with such gentleness. Uh, my dad, when he would help clean out a cut, it was like pour some alcohol on it, get some sandpaper and scrub it out. I mean, it was like straight up weird. I, you think I'm joking? Um, you know, let's just get down to the bare nub here and then pour some alcohol on it and then some peroxide and then maybe salt. I hear salt here. No, I didn't go that far. That part was a little bit extreme. But man, that was my dad. But my mother was so gentle. I mean, she could, she could clean a wound and, and never even make you feel like she had been there. And I think this passage is teaching us that that's the kind of trust that we have to build with, with people before we're allowed to impact their lives. Whether that's in a relationship with another believer or somebody who's trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe somebody who no, wants nothing to do with Jesus. Just love and serve. Build trust. Number, number, number three, act where there's awareness. You ever, had, you ever had that crumb in your eye? Talked about it earlier. You ever had something in your eye and you weren't aware of it? I've never had that. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. I, I can remember, this is the worst one. Worst one of all. Kind of a little bit of a gross story, but I was putting on deodorant. What is deodorant supposed to do to, to liquids? Dry it up? What do you think might happen if you were to get that deodorant in your eyeball? It ain't good. I felt like my eye went on fire because, you know, you just accidentally get a little bit of deodorant on your fingers, your eye starts itching, you scratch your eye a little. I, I, Rebecca's over judging me, by the way. She's over judging me because she's thinking I've got like the deodorant stick and I'm like, yeah, let's get, get I wasn't doing that. It just got a little bit on my hand. I started itching and started scratching my eye and it just in my, and man, my, I went on fire. Nobody needed to say to me, hey Lance, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Um, I don't really know how to say this but you've got something in your eye. Nobody needed to do that to me. I was very aware of it. How can we serve and love others, not by, by going after things they're not aware of, but help serve and love them in the areas of need that they are very aware of? Maybe they're hungry and we feed them. Maybe their marriage is broken or, or not filled or fulfilled and we help, we help their marriages. Maybe, maybe we serve and love them in other ways. Act where there's awareness. And number four, it's a little bit of what we said earlier, but be gentle, be kind, and patient. 
The reason my mother was allowed to take the crumb out of my dad's eye or the reason she could be, was the best one to help me when I had a cut was because she was gentle. She didn't go in with tweezers and, and machetes. She went in with love and kindness. She pulled, <laughs> yeah, machete, she didn't do that. She went in with gentleness and love and kindness. Imagine what it would be like if we brought this kind of mission and love and service to this city. Do you know that mega churches are actually struggling right now statistically? The biggest churches, the most successful churches over the last 10 years are actually starting to plateau and they're starting to struggle. And what they say why, I've actually heard a, a very well-known pastor of a very successful megachurch say this, is because for too long they've built their model off of having the best coffee, the best preaching, the best music, the best venues, the best show in town. And what they've discovered is when they pull that off, they get a lot of transfer growth. I'm tired of my church. I don't like my church, but I'm going to stop going to it because my preacher preaches too long or he preaches too short or he's not funny enough or he tells too many stories or he blah, 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 blah. And so they'll get a lot of transfer growth, but very few people are being impacted to follow Jesus. And even when they are, they're discovering that they'll, they'll say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'll follow Jesus, but, but there's nothing there to help them grow and develop into a fully functioning disciple. Imagine what we can do if we engage our city with relational discipleship, life on life, friend on friend, loving service, kind, gentle approach to helping people discover the grace and greatness of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the day after 9-11, sorry, the Sunday after 9-11, was the largest percentage attended church that we have recorded in American history? There might have been other times that were more than that, but we didn't keep records like in 1700 on those kind of things. Within, within three Sundays, it had returned back to normal, normal places. They went, went to the show. Cool show, cool show, pastor. Doesn't really do much for me. Back to normal life. I would imagine today in Paris will be one of the largest attended services in French history. But will there be a place to build a relationship with somebody who knows Jesus. Somebody who has been next to the fire. Somebody who's been next to the warmth. Imagine what it will be if the movement God is starting in Restoration Church to not just put on a great show, but to help people live as family on mission towards death can impact the city. The last thought is this. The way that, the way that my mother approached me is the way God approaches you. He welcomes you to come close to Him. He welcomes you with your doubts and your questions and you're wondering what in the world is going on. I don't know if this is true or not. I don't know what's happening in my heart. I don't know. But God welcomes you to come close and just investigate, to ask questions and sometimes even to make accusations. He just says, come close. I'll be patient. I'll be kind. You can scream, you can cry, you can hit me on the chest. But come close. And he gently, patiently, kindly helps remove the crumbs and the, and the sawdust and even the mortal wounds from your life. My heart's desire for you is that you would know Jesus in that way. That you would know him and then you would go and serve others in the way he served you. That you would know and then you would go. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you'd like to find out more about our church or hear other messages, 
please visit us at www.restorationchurch.us or follow us on Facebook at RestorationDCH.